to the Jerusalem Lights podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long. And now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. How are you? Shalom, Rabbi. Shalom from the hills of the Ozarks. Actually, we're in the foothills of the Ozarks here in in mid-America. Well, you'll have to tell the census taker exactly where you are. (laughs) And uh, shalom from Jerusalem and shalom to all of our wonderful listeners. I have to tell you, Jim, here we are in the month of Elul. And I have been getting some requests to blow the shofar on the podcast for those people that don't have uh, an opportunity to hear it in person. You know, there's an idea that we blow the shofar every day during Elul Mm -hmm. in the synagogue. It's actually a rabbinical decree because the the Torah mandated, the Torah Torah mitzvah of shofar is, of course, Rosh Hashanah. That's the divine service that's mandated by by Hashem himself uh, for Rosh Hashanah. But we also blow it uh, as a rabbinical enactment um, every day during the month um, in the morning, uh, kind of to um, open up our hearts, to open up our hearts in the deepest way. It, it, the shofar has a very powerful um, effect on mm-hmm. on the soul, it, and it, it is. It, um, will you be one? With what's called the? Is it called the te- tekia? The tekiah is the long blast, tekiah. right? There's the yeah, tekiah, yeah. there's the shvarim, which is the broken the broken blast. There's the truah, right. which is the, the trumpet blast. So I'm just going to blow one set and remind ourselves that we are in the in the in this incredible process now of preparing ourselves for the great and awesome and powerful time of the days of awe of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippurim and the the way to prepare ourselves really is for us to be spending more time thinking uh, in a deeper kind of um, inner spiritual work about the things that we want to accomplish during this month in terms of um, kind of resetting our priorities and thinking this, about maybe... Is this also a, a reference to uh, judgment, resurrection, etc., all those actually, things? Actually, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because there's, a, there's actually uh, 10 reasons According to the great uh, Rabbi Sadia Gon, there's there are ten reasons why we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, and one of them indeed has to do with um, an allusion to the resurrection of the dead. One of them has to do with a, a kind of a reminder of the binding of Isaac and the ram that was brought right. instead. It's also blown upon going out to war, yeah. and we're we are actually going out to war against. The Yitzhahara against our own evil inclination, which, by the way, is a is a very prevalent theme in our parsha this week. The whole idea of going out to war and what that means exactly on a personal level as well. It's also kind of like a an alarm clock, like a wake up call. So it's also basically don't forget that Rosh Hashanah is the day of the coronation of Hashem when we're actually giving him his crown. We're actually declaring him to be king. In fact, that's the major theme of Rosh Hashanah is declaring Hashem to be king. So the shofar blasts during Elul are really uh, a way of, of, of getting, our, our, uh, getting our act together, getting us in shape, sort of. So it's a, it's a what do they call it, a dry run. Yeah. So without further Cert- ado. Certainly about renewal. Everything it works. Yeah. Okay, here we go. All right.
Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. How long did it take you? When did you first bl blow the shofar the first time? Do you remember? I have actually been, been blowing for our um, congregation um, for, this is going to be my 15th year. Wow. That's but, amazing. But as I've told people, this is the only one I can blow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this particular shofar, it's, I have some sort of a, of a very strong relationship with it. So um, I can't, I can't seem to get a note out of any other. But this one, uh, somehow, I have a, I have some sort of a. I have one. I got, I acquired one, one uh, during a, a trip to Eretz Israel, and um, I haven't been brave enough to try it yet. So um, anyway, very impressive. And so we go. So this is a, a preparation for, uh, as we, as you point on every level, a, a renewal. And this is, begs the question also for, for all of our listeners, Jews and non-Jews, everybody who loves Hashem, everyone who finds themselves in the Torah of Israel, what is, what is our main priority during this month of Elul? And now we've spoken about it so much, everybody knows already the concept of Elul is, is that it is a revelation of and a manifestation of that which has been um, inadvertently laid by the wayside during the course of the busy workaday year in terms of the fact that we have a strong and vibrant relationship with God. And that's the main thing. The main purpose of life is to, is to get that connection going and to realize that that's our only real priority, our relationship with Hashem, that we are to our beloved and our beloved is to us. Song of Songs 6.3. You know, and when you when you say that, it, it is a hallmark of this of this parsha and the previous parashat uh, all this month. It, the hallmark is these uh, mitzvot in in all of these uh, are seemingly unconnected, and some of them are seemingly big, heavy air quotes trivial. And yet, and yet, again, we're going to see with with this parsha that th these are not to be ignored. They're not fallen by the wayside. Uh, these are very important commandments, and every every mitzvah is as important as the is the one that the, when you put them on the scale of weight before God, you know, we have the, no they, idea. We have no idea how God weighs them. <clears throat> exactly, and and that's the whole thing about Elul. Also, is that. You know, there's so much that we don't see. There's so much that we take for granted. There's so much that we that we become kind of like desensitized to. And the most important thing to be sensitive to, which is the most, which is unfortunately the thing that we lose sight of the most, is the fact that our every breath is from Hashem and in gratitude, and that the the most precious thing that we can do with our lives is to realize that and to and to open ourselves up to, 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 the, to his reality. And that's really what Torah is, after all. It's, it's more than uh, just um, you know, a, a guide uh, or a lifestyle. It is, it is a um, rope that he's throwing us. It's a, rope, it's a, a lifesaver that he's throwing us to, to be able to navigate through all the falsehood of, of this world. And, uh, and again, Elul, it's like, I've said it's like, kind of like an emergency room where we're getting able to get this kind of like resuscitation um, to, to reconnect. Because it's, listen, face it, honestly, it's not easy to maintain a vibrant relationship with, with God all the time. And, uh, but Elul is like a pause. It's like a pause. It's like we really grab hold of ourselves and, and shake ourselves awake 
and say, what in the world have I been doing with my time? How in the world have I been spending my time? And, and uh, I recently uh, mentioned in a, in a video broadcast that we shared an interview with, uh, with Anarina Hyman from Align with Zion. If anybody's gotten to see it, it's on our website as well. And on our YouTube channel, mentioned that, you know, that the, uh, on Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of Elul, which was last week, that was the day of the prophecy of Haggai. The prophecy of Haggai was was prophesized on that day, which is so um, appropriate and so and so the, so serendipitous because his prophecy was about uh, he was exhorting the people that were being very sluggish in their attitude about rebuilding the holy temple, even though permission mm-hmm. had been granted by Cyrus, they were taking their time and they were saying, oh, it's not yet time yet. And he was saying, well, is it time for you to dwell in your houses and this house is, is desolate? So the whole idea about that on that level of Elul also is, again, is about making a place for Hashem in this world, wanting him to be in this world. But the reason I say it, it's so apropos, connected to what I just said about you know, shaking ourselves awake and saying, whoa, what, how am I spending my time? Because in, what does Haggai the prophet say? He says, he says that Hashem is going to shake the heavens and the earth and the finest things of all the nations are going to, are going to come to the temple. Like you're taking like a tablecloth and shaking it at all four corners. That's how he's going to shake the world. And all the precious souls are going to be streaming to him. And that's really what we're, we're, what we're seeing. And that's what is so exciting about uh, Jerusalem Lights, Torah for Everyone. And I have to tell you, Jim, it's so incredibly moving, the, the emails and the, and the conversations that I have with people all over the world that they all thought that they're the only ones, you know, a person that, that is raised in a different religion or that is, doesn't, uh, um, doesn't find themselves and, and starts to read the Bible and starts to think about, you know, the, the, their lives, uh, all of a sudden connecting not all of a sudden, over over long period of time, co- connecting with all the questions that they've had, and it's just evidence of this incredible upheaval, this incredible shaking of heaven and earth, this incredible spiritual revolution that's going on of people that are coming to the Torah and fulfilling so many of the things that the prophets of Israel said, like Jeremiah said. You know, people are going to say that our fathers inherited us lies. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what what we're seeing, and 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 uh, but here, here I'm talking to you, and I know this is something that you speak about a great deal. I wanted to tell you that uh, one of the things that that I am so uh, appreciative of you making me part of uh, Jerusalem Lights is the fact that we can we can bring every week we can refresh people and remind them of the concept that, that even though the Torah is a set of laws for an actual nation, in fact, we're going to look at this in a minute, but yet, uh, for instance, the, 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 this Torah parsha, Kitzse, uh, opens up with a Torah mandate that would seem to have no application for a non-Jew reading this in our world today. It's about what happens in battle. And yet, what I appreciate is that, that we can open, we can read this and we can look at it in an historical context that this is an actual law that that affects uh, every Jew that is a member of the Commonwealth of Israel. Yet embedded within that mandate is a lesson for humanity. You'd never think that. And this is what Jerusalem Lights is doing. It's taking what seems like a, a, a misfile. You read it and you shake your head and go, 
how would I ever apply that? And yet, I, and I hope we can do this today, we're going to look at some of these uh, and, and say, there is a lesson in that for all of humanity, for all non-Jews and Jews alike, to say, this is how you should behave in life. This is how we make the world a better place. The, the captive woman, how does that work? You know, this th- is the th- whole this- the whole thing about the mitzvot is that there's so many levels of meaning, and uh, it, and it's so misunderstood. There's so much that, that's that's misunderstood. But the, if the premise is going to be that I don't know everything, mm-hmm. but Hashem does know, and I believe that there's a God in the world, and I believe that this is eternal, because it depends how a person is is coming at it. When a person comes at anything saying nobody has anything to tell me because I'm uh, you know, I know everything that there, there's no room in that vessel to hold well, that, any, di- any divine light because it's that, because it is a, in other words, it, it's like the sages say like that a, a person who is arrogant is pushing the legs of the Shechina away. Like yeah. the Shechina is trying to settle down. And this person is, is like, is like um, pushing the Shechina away. So but when it's, idolatry, come, it's idolatry. Yes. It's a, it is the most subtle form of idolatry. It's, well, it's what we call self-service. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the thing is, when a person's coming from a, a position of wanting to understand and wanting the light to come in, so then it's a whole different um, dynamic. And again, it's the same thing with the whole message of Elul, really, is that we, we want to try and get to a place where we can begin to nullify our will and our personality so that we can receive Hashem's message in our, in our, in our lives. Because the only thing that gets in the way is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's a theme that we are developing throughout all of these Torah portions now that are read during the month of Elul. And you'll notice that there, uh, that this Torah portion now, last week I spoke about the fact that the, the that every year the Torah portion that kicks off the season of Elul is Shoftim. And it begins with, with judges and officers you shall place within your gates. And in the video last week, I, I spoke about the whole idea that the, the gates are also the, the, our orifices, the gates to our consciousness, our own portals, where we have to be careful what goes in and out. And so, too, this, this week's parsha, right? The, what is the name? When you go out to war against your enemies. And the, the theme here is battle. By the way, interestingly, the, the Torah portion begins with a battle scenario and ends with a battle scenario. It ends with the battle against Amalek, which also needs to be is widely, wildly and widely misunderstood and needs to be understood what that means, especially in today's, in today's world. But here, in our Torah portion of when you shall go out to battle against your enemy, in between the opening scenario of the captive woman and the closing scenario of the war against Amalek, we have the Torah portion that has the distinction of the most jam-packed, chock-full of mitzvot Torah portion in the whole Torah. We have 74 commandments in this Torah portion, 28 positive and 46 negative. And, you know, considering the fact that Moshe, you know, we know that. This whole this whole soliloquy, you know, this whole uh, parting speech of the Book of Deuteronomy, Moshe was again speaking out to his people for a five week period from the beginning of Shvat until the seventh of Adar. And in fact, the last three Torah portions in the book were all said in uh, um, in one day in the on the last day of his life on earth on the seventh of Adar. 
And the titles here in, in the month of, of Elul are all apropos to the spiritual themes of Elul, going out to battle against your enemy, placing gates, placing the offices in, in your gates. The question arises, si since this is Moshe's last will and testament, why did he wait until now to give over all of these mitzvot? These commandments, you know, some of them are built on things that were said previously in other chumashim and other parts of the Torah, but many of them, this is their first appearance. And, you know, obviously there is an urgency here because, mm -hmm. because the people are going to be going in. Everything you know. that's going on here in Deuteronomy is about setting up a model community. Right, a society that will be that will be reflecting God's values in the, in the world, based on everything that we, that we know that God cherishes justice and compassion, and and basically affecting every area of life. You know, the the Ten Commandments were like a um, outline of everything, and mm -hmm. all of these commandments actually plug in. To various aspects of the Ten Commandments, if you and this is a whole science uh, in understanding how they're an outline, and everything is an offshoot of of those basic categories. And yeah, so, what 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 Hashem is doing is is uh, he's reminding not only the the people of Israel that you you have uh, a mandate, and I'm preparing you for it to live as a working nation day to day with laws that are applicable in your day-to-day -day dealings with each other. And I, and I think also it's a way to remind uh, other people that, this, that Israel is really, that, that the Jews represent an actual nation. And, and this is why uh, some laws uh, are applied in a very specific fashion, the way, the way especially the ones that we're going to see today, that seem so odd and so strange that they're actual, you could call them civil laws. And, and the, the point being is that, and you've, we've discussed this before, and, and uh, I've been ridiculed for, for saying that, that, that Judaism is not a religion, that it's a nation. I am and, so on that page with you. I am so on that page. And you know what? I also face uh, uh, questions, oppositions when we, when, we, when we maintain that. And a lot of people are very invested in saying that it is a religion, and I mm -hmm. don't, I don't just subscribe to that because we are a people. The Jews are a people, and a people right. has a, a way and a land and a language. And yeah. of course, there there is a lot at stake in claiming that the Jews are a people, and there is a very big practical difference. And the practical difference is inconvenient uh, and to some uh, Jews and politically incorrect. Because the practical, the greatest single practical application of the difference between being a people and being a religion is the land factor. Exactly. Because if you say that it's just a religion, you can practice a religion anywhere, right? If all it yeah. is is lighting a candle and a certain kind of ritual and blessing, that's very beautiful, but you can do it anywhere. But if it's about being centered on a land that God wants us to be in, because that's where we're supposed to be shining the light from Frat of Zion, shall go forth Torah and the word of God from Jerusalem, and, and God, the eyes of God are on that land from the beginning of the year to year's end, and that land is the source of blessing, then everything changes because it's, it becomes totally central to the fulfillment of our destiny to be in that land, not only yeah. for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. And it, it, it reinforces God's concept, and the concept did really, God is saying to 
the readers of Torah in these instructions that that God believes in sovereignty of a nation. That this is ouch. And, that's and that, that word again. Oh, ouch! Yes, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think that I think when people can relegate Judaism to just being a religion, that's all it is. Then, then as you say, you, you know, you can. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you you don't need a land if you if you're practicing a religion. You know, I, in fact, I think you, you said that even more eloquently than I did. You just did, and you can delegitimize Israel by doing well, voila. That. That's exactly what what uh, is being done. Mm-hmm. So the thing about all these commandments is that uh, first of all, like you you mentioned, um, you know that they have significance for the whole world. Uh, ideally, and there are there are different types of commandments. There are the mishpatim, which are like ethical. Uh, ethical uh, commandments. There are chukim. Uh, there, there are edot, which are like testimonies to to Hashem's relationship with with Israel that he that he's commanded certain things. There are chukim, which you know are laws uh, that are beyond our comprehension. That are that are decrees. That are divine decrees. So some, some but even the mishpatim, even the laws that we think we can understand because they seem to make sense to us on an ethical level, actually the sages teach us that we're not supposed to do them because we understand them yeah. or because we think that they make sense. We're supposed to do even those laws that are so sensible and that are so based on morality. We're supposed to do them because Hashem decreed it. And, mm-hmm. and you know what? There's a very important reason for that. Because, and open up your heart in the deepest way, but honestly, as soon as a person starts fulfilling the mitzvot because they make sense, and because they, they, well, that really is so fair, and that really is so compassionate. But then, when you have a mitzvah that doesn't seem to make sense, you'll be able to say, well, you know what? I think this is antiquated. I think maybe God didn't say that. I think maybe this is not relevant. For example, who, who needs to kill Amalek today? That's, ouch, that's a hard one. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure. But I'm saying, as soon as we start deciding what makes sense to us and what doesn't make sense to us, then we are amongst all of those people who this, have basically this, writing their own religion this on Torah, their own terms. This Torah portion is full of those mitzvot and, and hokim that, that seemingly don't make any sense, especially in today's world. And they're definitely not politically correct. Right. Right now, look. There's a lot of things that uh, that obviously do make sense uh, as far as um, sexuality and relationships and and um, accusations and and um, uh, sanctity and and rights, uh, people's rights and 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 uh, all this sort of thing. And then there are things that uh, that uh, are difficult for us to understand. Beginning with the beautiful woman, the captive woman, who basically it seems that this is a an accommodation to lust. We're saying that there's a soldier who is basically overcome when he sees a certain a certain woman. Who, of course, you have to understand that the women were used. In other words, rather than the Torah objectifying this woman, the enemy objectified their own women by having them dress in very seductive garb and putting them out there to 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 um, seduce the the men and all of this sort of thing. So basically, the, the Moabites did this. Yes. So basically, Torah here is saying that the man, rather than uh, succumb to to a forbidden situation, should uh, should have some sort of a license. Just wait. Now, this is on a simple level. On the simple level, it should, it should be licensed to him. And the process that the Torah prescribes here basically 
is okay that he is overcome with his uh with his passion with his heat so he brings her home and this the, is we have to underscore this is during battle this is during a war yes yeah only only during a war yeah and that and that so he so he captures her and rather than take her uh, uh as a result of her desire he first has to she first has to sit for for a period of time in her in his, in in the home she has to make herself unattractive she has to um vent her feelings for 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 her family that she left behind she has to become um not attractive anymore and then if he still feels the same way then he he is allowed to in the video um lesson this week i want to go into this in a much much deeper level uh has to do with a different level altogether that that Torah is um, foreshadowing here in general in life. You talk about the application of all of the mitzvot in general in life about seeing something on a on a deeper level. So I'll leave that for now. But the idea is um, there are many things here that are difficult to understand. There are many things, and 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 like I always say, every single one of these commandments, including the commandment of the captive woman, needs to be studied in detail. Thank God we're living in a generation where there's so much knowledge available with a click. There's so much that has to be understood before we come to any any um, of our own conclusions. We need to understand what the the whole picture that Hashem is painting here. So there's so many different commandments here. There's the wayward son, the re- the rebellious son, which according to some opinions never even existed, but it's yeah. all a metaphor, and yeah. it and it and it can't even happen because the criteria. For actually being, you know, of what the child has to do for for um, the amount that he has to eat, the amount that he has to steal, and he has to have exactly his father's voice, and it's, it's a whole thing that the sages it has to happen within a certain small right. window of time. Yeah. So some it's, sages opine that it never even happened, but again, the, the, these things are extremely, extremely deep. Some some of these things are very easy for us to under, understand on a simple level. Some of them not at all. Um, again, there is div- the divisions of family, society, justice, etc., etc. So many of these commands that that Moshe is giving now. And again, in the, the video, I really want to go into a more a broader lesson about how we relate in general to the concept of commandments and what our and what they what they kind of do in our world for us. But I want to give you another example of something interesting, Jim. You know, we have this. We have this. Um, this uh, mitzvah here of the... Is this the mother bird? Yes. In chapter 22, we read, if a bird's nest happens to you to be before you on the road, on any tree or on the ground, young birds or eggs, and the mother is roosting on the young birds or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely send away the mother and take the young for yourself so that it will be good for you and will prolong your days. Now this is first of all an amazing, amazing thing. I wish I had two thousand years to, to talk here because there's only two commandments in the whole Torah about which it's said that if you fulfill this commandment, it will give you length of days. There's only two commandments, and they are the sending away of the mother bird and honoring your parents. honoring your parents. Honor, honoring your parents. And by the way, the two are connected on a, on a very deep level. So, so here, what is this commandment? Is a person is walking, and um, okay, well, I'll, I'll, let me read. Let me re restructure that. A person wants these 
eggs or these chicks and the mother bird is roosting, you have to shoo away the mother bird. Now this seems to be an act of, of compassion that the mother bird should not see you taking away the young. So first you have to shoo away the, shoo away the, uh, the mother bird and then take the young. Okay. And that seems to be, wow, that's like so amazing. There's actually a question, a very, very famous question that is voluminous in the response literature. Just it's been written about hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, pages. Is this a, an obligation or is it, or is it um, a permission? In other words, in other words, the question is, do I, do I fulfill this? It's unclear in the language of the commandment. Do I fulfill this? Every time I see a mother bird roosting on the chicks or on the eggs, I should shoo the mother bird away and take the eggs. Or, or is it only like if I wanted to do, if I wanted those eggs for breakfast, then first shoo away the mother egg. Now, according to the simple interpretation of the, of the verse, it would seem that uh, if it happens before you and, and you want them, so then you shouldn't take the mother with the young. You send away the mother first, and then you could take the young. And so, in other words, it's only if you, if you wanted those eggs because you had a use for them. But there's another whole school of thought, which is the mystical school of thought, that, uh, that um, maintains that this is actually a positive commandment to, to do having nothing to do with if you were planning on eating those eggs today, you have plenty of eggs in the store. But if you see a nest with a mother bird in it, you should shoo the mother away. And, the, and this is just so deep. The reason for this on this sold level of, of the, of the um, secret dimension is because those sages maintain that this act creates a wave creates a, a pull of mercy in the world because the mother bird is going to be, it's, and it's kind of, it's kind of a catch 22 and the, the mother bird is going to be suffering. The mother bird is going to be um, feeling badly that you shoot it away. Right. And Hashem is going to be listening to, and looking at that mother bird, listening to that mother bird. And the idea is that there's some sort of mechanism here, according to the Kabbalah, that creates divine mercy in the world, that awakens, that arouses divine mercy in the world for Hashem's children. Uh-huh. It's, it's, a Hashem's mystical, children. It's, it's like a mystical version of the butterfly in South America flapping its wings and causing a hurricane later. Okay. It, it's one where a pebble is thrown into a pond and the ripples grow larger yes. and larger. With yes, small so on a spiritual level, there are concentric circles that are that are being that are that are resonating because of the situation that you created, where that where Hashem has to respond with by, by, with looking at His creation. And you know why this is like so incredibly apropos, because Jim, you know. <laughs> world is really 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 messed up right now okay i mean we're the the just the the ripples the repercussions of of suffering seem to be increasing and here we are in elul anila dodi it's the time of the revelation of our relationship with hashem and it's also aleph lul which means it's a time for the world to become 
to want to be, to be declared a domicile for Hashem, for the one, right? It's per, that's also the goal of Aleph Lul, of Elul, like Kagai's prophecy on that day. And there's so much, there's just a wave of very heavy din that seems to be coming into the world. There's like, there's judgment, a, there's a, judgment, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, of course, the whole purpose of, of our divine service on Rosh Hashanah and our entire posture during these days, beginning now in El, towards Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of repentance and, y- and Yom Kippur, followed by Sukkot in this whole season, this whole season on one foot, if I had to define, it's about sweetening the judgment. It's mm-hmm. about sweetening the judgment for the whole world, you know? Yeah. That's the whole thing. Remember we were talking a while back about this idea that, uh, that in the Machsor, in the, in the High Holiday Prayer Book, for, the, for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's a line in the in the holy prayer called Unataneto Kif, which means let us let us tell over the awesomeness of the day. There's a line about how you know Hashem is judging all the nations and even the angels are trembling and the, the fate of every single person and nation is is being written on Rosh Hashanah and sealed on Yom Kippur. And the line is that the signature of every man is in the book. And 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 hopefully it's the book of life. And the idea is the the way that it's phrased in Hebrew is that the book reads of itself. It's like uh, audible. <laughs> the book yeah. reads of its own, but the signature of every man is in that book. In other words, we sign ourselves into that book. We sign ourselves into the book. There's no one else to blame. It's our own actions. It's our own wherewithal. Our own resolve. Our own our own decision that is going to be instrumental in where we're standing with Hashem. So this whole season is about sweetening the judgment. So here we are in, in this very, very strange time when there's just so much going on and people feel feel just so distant from each other, whether they're wearing the masks or they're not supposed to hug and they're not allowed to go to their house of prayer and, and they're not allowed to travel to see their children, they're not allowed to travel to see their parents and, and there's so much question about, about life and death and, and everything is changing and everybody's saying it's never going to be like it was before. Uh, not that it was so great before, <laughs> but it's going to be different and everything is changing and, 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 and the way to look at it through Torah eyes, the spin as far as I, I am concerned, is took it through the joy of Torah, through the joy of being bound up with Hashem, through the joy of, of finding Him in our lives every day. The way to look at it is that this is all good. This is all a sweetening of judgment because, yeah, it's not going to be the same, but, the, but what it all has to lead into is, is Hashem, is the revelation of Hashem's sovereignty. And you know what? Old orders are crumbling Right, like Dylan saying, the order is rapidly fading. <laughs> Please get out of the new one if you can't lend a hand. I mean, because something is definitely, you know, there seems to be like speaking of a malik, there's like a there's like a klipa, like the the other side is like, and I don't want to wax too illusionary in my political. Thing. <laughs> I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a there's a certain force that yeah. is clinging to power, and it's manipulative and it's exploitive. And it's dangerous, and it's, I hope it's in its death throes. Because there's this spiritual revolution of, I mean, there's only one answer to, to everything, Jim, and that's Hashem. It's the only real thing that, that's going on in, in life. It's the only thing that matters. Well, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's yeah. like all, all of these commandments, like to me, this is like a, a, a this is like a, um, a good starting point for the whole thing, the idea of sending sending the mother bird from the nest. Like, 
and and that interpretation that it, it should be done, yeah, even if you don't need the eggs, because you know what, Hashem is giving us an opportunity to call on Him and and say, please increase, l- raise the volume of of divine mercy that is perceptible in in this world. That's what we need now. That's what we right. need now. And all of all of the commandments are an interaction. They're like Rabbi Nachman described them as like as like advice, but they're threads, they're conduits of light that through which we have the opportunity on every level, whether it's society, whether it's family, whether it's battle, we are searching for the inner dimension, searching to bring Hashem's light into the world. Again, so much to understand in in all of these commandments, what the application is, what they really mean. Don't take it lightly. Don't just say, oh, there's 74 commandments in this in this Parsha, and some of them don't don't make any sense to me. Just it is about a program of totally turning over what we think we know and becoming a people of God. The theme that that seems to uh, really run all through this this Torah portion, even with the captive woman all the way to the mother bird and the going out and helping your neighbor when, when one of his livestock has gone astray, Building the parapet, the, the the barrier around your roof, it seems to be that God is saying, I care for you. I, I created the concept of care. And I simply, on another level, a simpler level, Mabel, he's saying to us through these mitzvot, I want you to care. Just simply care for another person. Just, you know, as someone used to say, have a care. Yes, but again, even if there's something that we are required that does not seem to us to be merciful, it's still Hashem's decree. Yeah. So it's again, it's not up to us really to interpret it. Some some things are, are clear to us, and some things are are less clear to us. The question is, do do we understand that this is a a, a, a divine well, system? What I'm saying is, is that is that as a Torah observant Jew, these are requirements for you. But as a non-Jew, I look at these and say, these are a lesson to me as a non-Jew from the ultimate instructor, the ultimate teacher, Hashem, is saying, this is how you should conduct your life. Uh, but that, that to me is the, is the difference. For instance, I, I would never, uh, in this day and age, I would, you know, it would be unusual for me to to encounter something like the the woman taken in captivity. And yet, because the Torah is um, eternal and it will, and the, the, the teachings in it are, are deeply um, embedded in, in the idea of a righteous society that, that we can find application in these things. Again, in, in, the, in our video this week, I hope to be speaking about the, uh, the inner dimension of, the, of this commandment, which definitely has an application when, in every relationship that we have, because it has to do with looking on a deeper level. Something I want to ask you about is, and I don't want to get up into a real political rant here, but you know, you, I mentioned earlier the idea that God endorses, if you will, for want of a better word, the idea of sovereignty. Uh, the sovereignty of Israel and the sovereignty of all peoples. So how do you, as a Torah uh, scholar, view something like this new development with the United Arab Emirates and how it's being hailed as a, as a wonderful step forward to peace? What, how does, what is the Torah view of something like this? Or at least in your own view, 
your own background. Oh, thanks for that for that um, amendment because I don't want to claim to be speaking in the name of the Torah. I'll claim to be speaking barely in my own name, and just how I'm I'm looking at things right now. You know, um, it doesn't it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. There's a lot a lot of questions about the timing. Um, I obviously feel very affected by the postponement, so so-called alleged postponement, not cancellation, of Israel's uh, much-touted uh, plan to declare sovereignty finally over Judea and Samaria, mm-hmm. which apparently now uh, is uh, off the table because America withdrew its. I'm doing big air quotes here. Permission for us to do that, and somehow it's inexorably bound up with the the new deal with the United Arab Emirates. Uh, apparently, um, the Secretary of State Pompeo has indicated that there are other Arab nations that may be soon to follow. Um, in terms of some sort of uh, new alignment with, with Israel, there's also talk of a, um, of a, of a summit soon. Um, and of course, um, America has interests that are that are being uh, advanced, you know, by by um, the new alignment with Israel. Uh, to answer your question, Jim, I feel that there are certain powers that are um, that have an agenda. Call it globalism. Call it whatever you you want to call it. The agenda has to do with um, economics. It has to do with with all sorts of things that definitely have a, a positive side. But frankly, to answer your question, which I haven't yet, um, I think that it is the, the way that people are looking at it, the way that Israel is looking at it, the way that it is being, that it is being arranged and the manifestation of it and the repercussions of it are basically uh, the diametric opposite of what Israel's role in the world is supposed to be. Yeah. For example, okay, for example, part, part of the deal with um, the Emirates is uh, that the Temple Mount should be open for all of these Arabs to come streaming to Jerusalem, to the Temple Mount. So I actually ha- was interviewed by a publication last week, and the fellow asked me how I felt about this and asked me, well, he said, isn't that the fulfillment of the prophecy that all the nations are going to be streaming to Jerusalem? And I said, no. The, the prophecy is that all the nations are going to be streaming to the Holy Temple, no. to the house of the God of Jacob, Isaiah says, not to the Temple Mount and, and not to the abomination on the Temple Mount. Ouch, excuse me there, I let it go. And the idea, the idea being that, that, that Israel's mandate, that it was, again, I didn't ask for it, Jim, don't blame me, the mandate that we were given to be a light to the nations the way to do that is not through um, all the wonderful things that we do, which is a, a side benefit. Um, and I'm talking about technology, and I'm talking about medical advance, I'm talking about science, I'm talking about all the wonderful things that the, that the Jewish mind is able to contribute to human advancement and betterment. That's all, I think, just kind of like um, an, an, an automatic uh, automatic side benefit of of what of what we are, but the purpose of the Jewish people's existence is to bring Hashem's light into the world. When when Zechariah says that ten men from the nations will grab hold of the corner of a Jew, 
They don't say in that verse, because we heard that you developed antivirus, which we did. Because we heard that you developed Intel uh, chips, which we did. Because we heard that you are the best uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, whatever it is, which we are. Mm -hmm. Because we heard that you, that you uh, have all this technological, that's wonderful. But that's, no, because we heard that God is with you. So I don't see that in this deal. I see instead the desire for economic tourism for a certain kind of alliance against Iran, which is very, very important for the advancement of various interests. But, uh, but, it, but it, it basically is a concealment, again, of the true identity of Israel because it's putting Israel on, in a certain place where we... Have to have to have to be accepted by these nations. We have it's a globalist thing. We have to have our place amongst the nations. Even though even Balak, even even Bilam in in his vision, what did he say? He said, "A nation that that dwells in solitude and is not considered amongst the other nations." Right. Right. And I'll never forget who where, who was it at one of the peace treaties. One of the peace treaties, I don't remember if it was if it was Yitzhak Rabin, I don't remember when it was, who it was, but some, one of the Israel's leaders, maybe it was even Netanyahu, I don't remember, at some, at some signing, that verse was quoted, where Bilam said, uh, looked in, into, you know, the spiritual inner dimension of Israel and said, and said um, it's a nation that dwells in solitude, and I don't have it in front of me exactly which mm -hmm. chapter and verse, but it's in it's in Parshat Balak, uh, and it's not considered amongst the nations. And so the leader, the Israeli leader, said, "No more, no more is that is that true? Because now we're like, <laughs> we're like, I'm one of us, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that was from the movie. You like movies? I think it was, that was from uh, Romancing the Stone with Danny DeVito. I think he said, "I'm one of us. I'm one of us." So like, so like now. That he said, oh, it's, that's no more. But he didn't understand that that verse that Bilam was saying, that that Bilam was saying, a nation that dwells in solitude, it's a compliment. It's yeah. a compliment. It's not. A, it's not. It's not a. It's not a curse. It's not a derogatory thing. It's not a put down. It's not saying, oh, we live. We're, no, that's exactly what we're supposed to be. I'm not saying we're supposed to be isolated. We're not supposed to have an interface or interactive. But we we have a a purpose. The purpose is not being fulfilled. Through these through these agendas, and so I, it's kind of of dubious uh, to me right now. Um, and I, of course, I ha I have every hope and prayer and even confidence that it that it will be used to the to the best. But at, at the same time, I think it's uh, I think it bespeaks uh, a certain lack of focus of of being out there about what it is that we really could do in this world. People talk about diversity all the time, but the people who are championing, championing diversity really want us all to be one big world under one big uh, government. The globalists want open trade, open borders. And the reason <clears throat> that that goes against Torah is that God is saying every nation has a right to its own sovereignty. If the UN, for instance, can impose its rule on everyone, <clears throat> then they can tell Israel, you can't live your life according to Torah. There is this Amalek-like strain that runs through the world that says, no, we want to stamp out that idea of God, because now, God, you know. And according to, Torah, according to Torah, Israel should not have to give up anything. 
for for its existence and for so-called peace. Now, now this whole thing with the Emirates is being touted as like a whole game changer because Israel didn't have to give up any land for peace. And you kept saying all the time, you know, the left kept saying you have to give up land for peace. And so this is being seen as a victory for Netanyahu's opinion that you don't have to give up land for peace. The only thought, the only thing is that apparently we are giving up something. We are giving up sovereignty and that should not be a condition for, for um, recognition. And again, is this recognition something that <laughs> really has anything to do with the reality of, of, what, of what we are supposed to be? Uh, let me share with our listeners, because they probably will not get it on their local media, that here as we are sitting at the microphone on Tuesday, the 26th of August, uh, just to, within the last hour or so, an Israeli man was stabbed to death in central Israel, near Petach Tikva, near, near Tel Aviv, and um, a Palestinian suspect, um, Palestinian meaning a Palestinian Arab who lives in the areas known uh, under the Palestinian Authority, came into Israel, killed the Jew, and of course the headline is that, uh, even here in Israel, is that the police are investigating the motive. And the motive of Motive, of course, is that he was a Jew living in the land of Israel. So speaking of recognition, speaking of the spirit of Amalek, speaking of when will it stop and when will be, when will be, we be afforded the right to live in our land and, and not be molested, and when will that be understood? That's, that's not clear to me. That's not clear to me. So we may have, um, you know, uh, a peace deal with the Emirates, <clears throat> but this just happened. Or may, and maybe they'll say it's because of that, you know. Maybe the Palestinians are, big air, air quotes, like you said, I like to say, frustrated. They're very, very frustrated because they feel that they were left behind, because they feel that the world is not paying attention to their cause, which is the death of every Jew and the total restoration of all of these lands to this non-existent entity, which has no roots here. In this in this land, yeah. So and I, I think I think one of the things that people uh, who have not visited Israel are not aware of uh, is, is the fact that to show you the hypocrisy of the UN is that they still have UN uh, camps. They have they have they have camps for for displaced Arab Palestinian people in these UN camps. The un the the uh, and uh, the the camp. Anytime you see a picture of these 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 UN camps, you always see children looking through, staring through barbed, you know, through uh, through the fence at at what looks like freedom on the other side. But what they don't show you is the open gate at the entrance to the camp that never closes. That that people drive in and out all day long. They go to work and they just live there. They're not they're not interred there that have this deal. There were so many countries that gained independence around the same time that Israel was formed. And, and, and of course, the, the, the uh, Arab League had a whole plan of destroying Israel. And they thought that it would go very smoothly, and it didn't go smoothly. And, so they, and they encouraged their people to flee. And the, the whole deal, you're well aware of all of this history. And whether it is, um, whatever the percentages of the fault of whether it's the UN or the, or the actual Arab leadership, they have purposely kept their people under these conditions for almost 70 years because all right. it's just that all these people are to the Palestinian leadership that, that has, that has uh, embezzled billions of dollars, right? And, uh, and uh, Abbas is following that tradition of Arafat, billions of dollars. All their own people are to them are useful idiots. 
They are cannon, cannon fodder. Exactly. They are just pawns. Yeah. And they and they don't want their situation to change because they want to be able to to show the world that Israel should be destroyed. Yeah, I re- read a very telling account in a, a book published in 1956 before there was a Palestinian state, a, a so-called Palestinian state, as they like to call it. Years before that, and it was by a British uh, diplomat who had once spent time in Israel as a spy during the 40s. And he was, uh, in his book, he reminds people that Arafat's uh, grandfather was, uh, had been a guest of the Nazis when he visited Germany. And uh, the, the, the gentleman's name, by the way, is, uh, is Meinershagen. He, he was a British uh, Christian who also was an early Zionist. And he was having dinner with an Arab diplomat. This is in 1956. And in his diary, he said, in 1956, he even asked, the Arab businessman and diplomat, he said, why don't you close these UN camps? There's, there, you don't need them anymore. The, the Arabs can, can, are, are free to, to, you know, to move about. They don't have to live in a camp. And he said, you don't realize, Mr. Minasagan, that this is the best public relations tool we have against Israel. He admitted that it's there. It's there. Public. It's publicized in the book. So anyway, listen to me. You know the, yeah. the um, it's just it's it's so frustrating. All of this uh, history, and a person really has to study what what's happening here. Uh, it was the 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 idea of the final solution was was uh, presented to Hitler by the Mufti of Jerusalem, right. And this is a historical fact that the Mufti of Jerusalem the met with Hitler, and he, yes, the, of the current Mufti, and he mm-hmm. is the one who came up with the idea and urged Hitler that he that the Jews should be exterminated. And you know what? Uh, two days ago was the was the anniversary of the terrible massacre in Hebron oh, yeah. in 1929, which had nothing to do with neither neither with the. Uh, territories of of the of 1967 nor with the establishment of the state of israel it was in the time of the of the of the british mandate that was a horrible slaughter of the jewish community of over 60 men women and children that were savagely savagely brutally murdered raped dismembered uh, but under the eyes of of the british in in hebron took hatchets they took hatchets to jewish women it's unbelievable it was, it's unbelievable I, I urge our listeners when you god willing you're able to visit israel go to hebron and there's a museum there uh for this that is set up to remember this massacre and they can in the meantime they can learn about it online as well the, the massacre in hebron in 1929 so jim you, you wanted to speak about amalek right and here you go you know here you, you here you have a commandment that is uh, to remember what Amalek did to you on the way. And of course we're referring to uh, Exodus um, after the, the splitting of the sea in Parshat B'Shalach when, when, um, when Israel was attacked by Amalek. And here we have a commandment to wipe out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. And Amalek represents uh, this total, unraveling of the divine image, this human lookalike that is bent on destroying. And Amalek, everybody knows, has the numerical equivalent, the gematria of the word safek, which means doubts, because the, 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 the whole thing on a spiritual level is to doubt whether or not there even is a God. 
And mm -hmm. honestly, the, a Malik should not be identified as a particular people. It's a spirit. It's a spirit, and it can even be within, within, our, within ourselves. It is a spirit of destruction. And, and um, just segueing into this from the, from the terrible massacre in Hebron and from the terrorist attack today in which someone was killed, and in the whole idea and the backdrop of what we were speaking about earlier, that there is a certain desperation, a certain morbidity, a certain kind of heaviness and din that is, that is in the world. And I feel, I feel and fear is coming into the world even stronger, that we really need to face this and we really need to face it head on by doing our own spiritual work now during this month of El, all of us, Jews and non-Jews, all of us who love Hashem, who love the Torah, who are connected to each other, who love each other. We need to do our spiritual work of assuming responsibility, of bringing Hashem's light into the world, of binding ourselves to Torah and understanding the significance of it in our lives and of saying it stops here. The, the destruction, the, the desperation, the, the, everything that Amalek represents in, in this battle. And it's this week's Torah portion. And it's not, for, it's not for insignificant that we read it during this month of Elul. All right. Because God doesn't want us to forget about him. It's not that God needs us to do that. It's because it is what, if, if uh, it, it's, uh, it's connected to the commandment of honoring thy father and thy mother. And, and, you know, uh, to put it very uh, sort of clumsily, God is our father and our mother, everything. That, you know, that was just in, la in last week's Torah portion uh, you, uh, where Hashem says, uh, you are children to the, the Lord your God. Right. And if we, our father wants us to be like him and our father will treat us like a father. And like you so eloquently said last week that, you know, with, with the judgment comes, uh, it turns out that the judge is our own father. Amen. And Amen. and so that mercy is extended to all of us, and we should we should reflect that mercy. I think that's what is completely shot through in this Torah parsha. Every it's a, it's the link that connects every one of the mitzvot in this Torah parsha. Beautiful. Jim, I want to remind all of our listeners about our um, Zoom classes every Sunday. Um, anyone can email me at rabbi at rabbirefin.com for the Zoom um, information, the password and, and uh, meeting ID. Um, and uh, also for previous, uh, for links to the recordings of previous Zoom classes, we're having a, a really wonderful time. And we're in the middle of a series now about the forefathers of Israel and some real universal life-changing lessons there as well. And I want to wish everyone uh, uh, the continuation of this wonderful season of Elul, of getting close to Hashem, of getting real with ourselves, of taking responsibility, of waking up to the reality of our relationship with Hashem and with each other. And as usual, James, I wish you there in the foothills of the Ozarks in Arkansas, I wish you a beautiful week. And... You're a beautiful man, and I thank you for being my friend. I thank you for being my friend, Rabbi. Thank you very much. It's a blessing. Shalom, shalom.